Welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. We are in week 13 of our series in Genesis called In the Beginning, and Chris is taking us through chapter 16, which, as we will hear, prompts this question. Do you invite God into your plans, or do you seek him when a problem comes out of that plan? Today, we will look at Abram and Sarai making their own plan to fulfill God's promise and the results of that decision. Let's listen in. Well, welcome back to our 13th week in our series, In the Beginning. If you're joining us for the first time, we are in a series going through the book of Genesis, chapter by chapter, uh, and uh, I want to invite you to, if you brought a, if you have a Bible with you, open it up. Paper Bibles are better because you can circle things, underline, draw arrows, and write notes in the margins. If you don't have one, get one for next week. Uh, really just encourage you to follow along, though, in the Bible. Now, if you have a digital Bible, that's fine. You can just click on Genesis and then chapter 16. If you've got a paper Bible, go to the very beginning of the book, flip over a couple pages, you'll find Genesis and then find chapter 16. That's where we're going to be today. But for those folks who are new, I just want to help kind of loop you into the story arc of how we got to where we are today. See, the book starts with in the beginning. That's how we we named the series, actually. It, it gives us kind of the foundation and the roots to understand spiritually what's going on in the world, but also just the story of humanity and and kind of how we see the world and how we navigate the world today. It's important to know where you come from in order to know how to navigate where you are now. And so we're looking back at that. And the first chapter says, in the beginning, God created. And so what we find at the very beginning is a God who is bigger than our world, bigger than our universe, who created everything we see, everything we we know. He created. He stands outside of time. He is a great, big God. And yet... Uh, um, in chapter two, we find him creating us. He creates human beings with purpose. Uh, he creates all the other animals, plants, all those things. But then when he gets to people, he does something a little different. He creates us in his image. We are his crowning creation. There's something special about people, which means there's something special about you. You have purpose. You were created for a purpose, on purpose, by God, in his image, capable of relationships, capable of love, capable of knowing good from evil, and capable of being in a relationship with God. And in fact, that's your your highest purpose, is being in a relationship with God. And he places them in a garden, and everything's going really well. It's kind of paradise. There's uninterrupted fellowship between the humans, uninterrupted fellowship between the humans and God. Everything's going well. And then in chapter 3, we find out why things aren't going that way today. And in fact, from chapter 3 on, the world is kind of messed up. Well, it's not kind of messed up. It's really messed up. And, and, and we see as the humans make a decision to open the door, Pandora's box, so to speak, and allow something called sin into our world. And it infects humanity and it destroys everything it touches. It creates pain. And, and uh, when we look around the world today, when we look around and even in our communities or families, we see dysfunction, we see we see uh, abuse, we see wars, we see famine, we see all of these things. It all goes back to chapter 3. Well, as we've continued, we watch for the next many chapters, just humanity kind of 
devolve into chaos. Like the sin infects everything. People are behaving more, they're behaving badly and then more badly and then more badly. They're hurting one another. Uh, and it's not a good situation. And God has a plan. He has a plan to, to redeem humanity, to, to make things right again. And he starts with a guy named Abram. Eventually we get to Abram. And uh, Abram is an unlikely candidate to be part of this plan. He, he, he doesn't know God. He's, he's, a, he's a satanic pagan worshiper, idol worshiper in Babylon. Uh, he lives out in the desert. He has no kids. He has no legacy. Uh, he has really nothing going for him from that, from that perspective. And he's certainly not a good God-following person. And God shows up to Abram and says, look, Abram, I want you to follow me. I am going to take you to a land. I'm not going to show you where it is now. Follow me. I'll show you where, where it is. And Abram goes. And then the next chapters after that, we see Abram being mostly faithful, not entirely faithful. I think at any point, even his most faithful move was to get up, uproot himself and his family and follow follow God to the land that he will show him. He has a faith enough to do that, but he brings along Lot. He wasn't supposed to bring along his, his nephew Lot. He does. And, and we see from chapter to chapter, either Abram being kind of faithful, not faithful at all, absolutely stupid, like when they go to Egypt and his, his wife ends up in the harem of, of Pharaoh because they told a bunch of lies. It was really bad stuff. We see some crazy mistakes we see some unfaithfulness. We see some, some faithfulness. And yet we see God stay with Abraham, or Abram at this point. His name will eventually become Abraham all the way along. Now, the story that we're going to look at today, it's a doozy. Like, I mean, it's like we can step back 4,000 years later and go, man, that was dumb. Um, and, and it's got to be one that as Abram looks back on it, he'd have some regrets about. And there's so much to learn from it. Now, the good news about God is that, and the good news about this story and is that he uses people like Abram who make mistakes, who don't get it right all the time. This guy goes on to become the father of faith. And, um, and uh, he, he was not perfect. And that's good news for you. And that's good news for me because none of us are perfect either. All right, so let's start Genesis 16. This is what it says. It says, now Sarai, Sarai is Abram's wife. Sarai will eventually get a new name. Her name will be Sarah, and Abram will be renamed by God Abraham. But right now, it's Sarai and Abram. So now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, here's why this is important. They had been barren up to about 10 years ago, uh, and God shows up to Abram and says, look, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a child. Uh, that child is going to be the beginning of a great nation. You'll have so many descendants, you won't even be able to count them all. And, uh, and, and this is going to come through your, your wife. He was uh, 75 at the time. She was 65 at the time. As we discussed in previous sermons, uh, they lived longer. So the you know equivalent she might be have been modern day equivalent of 
you know, 35 to 45. So a child was not completely outside the realm of possibility at that point in time. But now she's 75. And this is becoming a fairly hopeless situation from a practical standpoint. See, God had promised them a child, but there was no child. They had waited for 10 years. The wait grew really long. And now they're aging out. And so it's becoming a practical impossibility. Guys, these are the moments in our lives, and I think anybody's life, when we begin to become tempted to take matters into our own hands, when the wait has been too long. Like, clearly God's not coming through. It's been 10 years. I've been praying for this for 10 years, or God told me, and it's not come to pass, so it's not going to... So we become tempted to take control and come up with a plan B when the wait's been long or when something becomes impossible. We we look at it and you're like, no, that's that's impossible. It would take a miracle. I can't even fathom how that's going to happen. And then we become tempted to take control and take matters into our own hands and make it happen ourselves. We come up with plan B. Well, it goes on. It says, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So when they were in Egypt... Many years before making the mistakes that they were making when they were there, uh, somehow they ended up with an Egyptian slave uh, servant girl named Hagar, and she's still with them. And so she said to Abram, here's plan B. Here's what we're going to do. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, one of the things you can can hear kind of in her, like, listen for tone. So the Lord has kept me from having children. Sarah, or Sarai, is growing a little bit bitter here. She's like, God's, God said well, I was going to have a child. I haven't had a child. I mean, there's, there's a little bit of a, an edge to her voice. And she's like, so we're going to come up with plan B, and you're going to go sleep with Hagar, and, and we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll build a legacy through through her. Now, I find it amazing that this is in the Bible at all. Like, like he's, he goes on to become the father of faith. Like, like good families bury the sordid details, the sordid stories, right? My grandmother, a nunna, she was, she's, she's long since passed, but, but, uh, she's famous for, for just not saying anything negative about anybody in the family. Like, I'm a, I come from a Sicilian background. We've got some stories. My, mom, my dad and my aunt will sit around and tell the stories and try and put them together, but nobody really knows the stories because none of them would just shut that down. Anybody said anything negative or shared a story of a, you know, kind of a questionable background or a questionable action of somebody in the family, and she'd just say, oh, no, they're good people. They're good people. I know their parents. They're good people. You know, then nobody in the family could ever do anything wrong. We hide those details, and I love the fact that the Bible doesn't. I love how real and honest the Bible is. God says, you know, put that in there because there's some things that we can learn. And for the next 15 chapters, it is just stunning dysfunction after dysfunction after. It's people making mistakes and God remaining faithful in the midst of it, building a nation out of it. Guys, the reality is we're all dysfunctional. You know, here at the Vineyard, we like to say we put the fun in dysfunctional because we're all busted up and messed up. And we all need the grace of God. And, uh, and the good news, the reassuring news, is that he doesn't abandon us. He doesn't. 
And I think there are some of us struggling with that thought even right now. Well, okay, so let's recap. No kids. It's been a long time. It's becoming practically impossible. Sarai decides to take matters into her own hands. She comes up with this brainstorm of an idea. She goes to Abram and says, hey, I want you to sleep with my my servant, and then and then she can have a baby for us, kind of a surrogate kind of thing. Um, and so let's bring a second woman into the relationship. Now, a little free pastoral advice. That is never a good idea. Can I get an amen? That is never a good idea. Two women in the tent never works out, ever. You know, the old te- people will say, well, the Old Testament has no prohibition against uh, polygamy. That's true. But it never works out. It's a train wreck every single time. And no matter how many reality television shows called Sister Wives there are on TV, it's a television show. We're talking inevitable drama, inevitable heartbreak. That's what happens. Abram, the father of faith, should have known better. But notice his response. And I'm sure it was absolutely dignified and with all the right motivations. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. It's like, all right, babe. I mean, not that I would want to, you know. I mean, for you, if that's, you know, if you say so, babe, I'll I'll do it, you know. And, 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 And so, you know, we like to think that he had all, you know, this was just business and about the propagation of their name and all of that. But my sense is, knowing that Abram was a man, there was probably a little bit of, oh, that's not a bad idea going on. And so he slept with her. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So she gets pregnant. She gets pregnant, and she starts to kind of kind of get puffed up a little bit, starts to think, well, now I'm carrying the promise. I'm carrying Abraham's heir. I'm the mother of this, of this, this new promised nation thing, whatever God had, had promised to Abram. All of it, he had become a wealthy man by that. All of this will eventually be mine. And so she starts treating Sarai like she's all that. And Sarai is the servant. Sarai is like, hey, can you, uh, can you, you know, can you get my breakfast? No, Abram's baby's kind of making me, you know, a little morning sick. Maybe you could get me breakfast. And all of a sudden, we start seeing the this jacked up dynamic, weird dynamic for sure. A slave girl poking at the at the master's wife, and 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 back and forth. Her son's the heir not Sarai's. And Sarai grows grows jealous. Hagar grows proud. It's a completely dysfunctional situation, which brings me to point number one. You may want to write this down. It says, sometimes the worst thing that can happen is when our plan works out. Sarai had a plan. This is, we've got to take matters into our own hands. We need an heir. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to put my husband with my servant. We're going to get a baby. Everything's going to work out perfectly. Exactly that's what happens. And now she has a mess on her hands. She has a relational train wreck on her hands. And she is brokenhearted, even though she got exactly what she thought she wanted. 
So then she goes in, finds Abram sitting on the couch watching television in the tent. She walks in, and, and they have a, this perfectly rational conversation. It says, then Sarai said to Abraham, you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. And Abram is like, hits mute, and is thinking to himself, all I did was what you told me to do. Now, is this Abram's fault? Not technically. Is Abram faultless? Absolutely not. He abdicated his leadership. He should have known better. I mean, when somebody comes in, and especially when a spouse comes in and says, hey, I've got this great idea, and it's a train wreck of an idea, you don't just go, okay. Like, you step up, you man up in this situation, and, and you say, no, 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 babe, babe, let's think about this for a minute. But he doesn't. He just kind of goes along to get along, so to speak. He should have known better. And now they have a full-blown Jerry Springer episode on their hands. The chairs are about to fly in the tent. Sarai's plan was successful, and it brought her heartache. And the family is unraveling before their eyes. You know, the most important question you will ever answer in your life, well, one of the most important questions you will ever answer in your life is what is the goal for your life? What is the goal for your life? Is the goal for your life to honor God or is it to be successful in your plans? It's the goal for your life to honor God or to be successful in your plans. Because if it's to be successful in your plans, you'll do whatever it takes to be successful in your plans. You'll cut corners. You'll cheat. You'll do what is unwise to get to where you need to be. The ends kind of justify the means. Just do what it takes. And it will leave you in the end brokenhearted and wounded, and it will leave a wake of that behind you in the lives of the people who are involved. If your goal is to be successful in your plans, that's your highest goal. It doesn't work out well. That's what happens here. But if your goal is to honor God, you'll do things differently. You'll wait, even when it doesn't look like it's possible, because God said he was going to take care of it. You won't cut corners morally or relationally, and you won't wound yourself and the people around you. If it's to honor God, you do what He says, and you trust Him for the outcome. And usually, the outcome is way better. See, you can be successful in your plans and completely screw up your life because you don't see, just like Sarai, you don't see the unintended consequences. All you can see is the thing that you want. Now, this doesn't mean that God is against success. He's not. It doesn't, doesn't mean we should not have goals and strive for success in our lives. We should. But what it does mean is that we need to honor God first. We need to seek His plan first, and we need to trust Him when it doesn't look like things are working out the way we wanted them to, that whatever plan He has is better than whatever plan we could come up with means we learn patience, we learn to wait, we learn to trust God. And when we do, we're able, we're able to enjoy the ride. 
We're enabled to enjoy the relationships along the way. How many people have traded away precious time with their family and their kids because their plans for success in, took every, everything they had, every moment they had, and every ounce of energy and focus that they had? And they missed the important stuff. Happens all the time. And that's what we see here. Well, in verse 5, we see, uh, we see uh, this argument or this, the end of this conversation where she's like, this is a mess and it's your fault and blah, blah, blah. And then she finishes it by saying, may the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, it's interesting that, you know, the God talk shows up in verse 5. The, the, the God's kind of invited into the conversation in verse 5. It would have been better. If God was invited into verse 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, but God isn't invited into the planning, is he? Oh, no, this was her plan. This was his plan. He's invited into the problem, and that's exactly what we are tempted to do as well, right? We come up with our plans, we live with our consequences, and then we invite God to come fix the mess. It brings me to point two, which is this. The time to call on God is before you make your plan. It's to hit the pause button when you're going, hey, this is a great plan. And you go, okay, God, wait a second. Am, am, I, violating, am I violating wisdom? Am I violating your commandments? Am I, am I, am I do, going off the rails here? What's your plan in this? I want your plan, not my plan. One of the prayers that I pray all the time is, God, I want, to, I want to fulfill and dedicate my life to, to your plans, not, not mine. Your plan, not mine. I want to be on your team. I don't want you on mine. I want to be on your team. Tell us what to do here. Now, when I, I mean, I'm, I'm as tempted as anybody else to seize a situation and come up with a plan, but to remember the time to call on God is before you make your plan is a huge, huge lesson in life. And we learn it here from this story. Well, Abram responds, again, abdicating his leadership, completely abdicating his leadership. He says, your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Abram blows it here. I mean, this woman, regardless of how they got to where they are, is carrying his child. And for him to not protect her, for him to not protect his child, it's, it's, it's kind of unthinkable. But he is living by, he is living by that, that age-old statement that goes back 4,000 years to this, and that is happy wife, happy life, right? If, if, if wife number one ain't happy, ain't no one happy. So if you need to run off wife number two, that's okay. You do whatever you need to do. But, I, you know, I, I mean, I just, he's just not behaving very well here. And so he's like, you know, whatever you think, dear, you know, <laughs> I'm not getting involved. In it too. You take care of it. Well, the next scene, Hagar's running away. She's on her way back to Egypt. 
And it says in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Now, this angel knows who she is. He knows where she's coming from and where, he's, where she's going, but he draws her into a conversation. And, and, and just something really important to note here. Uh, it's very subtle, but it's very, very important. It says, the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, when it says an angel of the Lord, it's a messenger. It's an angel who's a messenger from God to, to bring a message. When it says the angel of the Lord, it is Jesus before Bethlehem. All right, this is the Lord himself showing up and having this conversation. She is, she is running. She has been abused. She has been mistreated. She is heartbroken. She is pregnant. She is years out of Egypt. She was a nobody when she was in Egypt. She was just given away to a foreigner. She has no future, no hope. Going back to Egypt isn't going to solve her problem either. And she is as nobody as nobody could be on planet Earth. And God shows up and has a conversation with her. I love that. I love that because that's who our God is. That's what he does. He meets us in the midst of our heartbreak and our hopeless situations. And he engages us and he invites us as we see he's going to, to give her some direction, make her a promise. This is good. This servant girl with no future. <laughs> God shows up and says, look, I see you, I get you, I know you. She says, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her the very thing she did not want to hear. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Go back. Go back. I mean, going to Egypt is not going to, you know, you're probably not going to survive the trip, but certainly there's nothing there waiting for you. Go back and submit, humble yourself. See, this is so good. See, the issue was Hagar was kind of being a pain in the rear end. She had grown proud. She was provoking Sarai. She was being a non she was not being a pretty human being on the inside. And God sends her back and says, look, I need you to humble yourself. This kid needs a dad. But more importantly than that, you need an attitude adjustment. You know, so many people I've seen in, in, in this life run from relationship to relationship to relationship, marriage to marriage to marriage, job to job, to job. And when they get to the next one, it's good for a little while, and then it all just goes to crap again. And the common denominator is them. They never actually deal with the things that are undermining the relationship or the marriage or the job situation. They never face those things, never learn to humble themselves, never learn to grow. See, you can run 
but you can't hide from you. And that's what God just calls this out in her and says, no, 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 no. You need to go back and face it. Will it be hard? Absolutely. You're going to have to swallow your pride. Yes. But it is the only way to heal and grow and really live life. The only way to do that is to face the stuff in yourself. It's not what she wanted to hear, but she does it. In verse 12, it says he will... She, he says this about, about the child. Oh, nope. in verse 11, it says this, The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son, and you shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. And before that, in verse 10, it says, The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Guys, the entire Arab world traces its origin to this child, Ishmael. He makes a similar promise to Abram years before. I'm going to increase your descendants so much they're going to be too numerous to count, but that was supposed to come through Sarah. And now we're in, we have a completely different person, kind of a really similar promise. And God says, listen, you need to go back. You need to go back. This kid needs a dad. You're going to have to suck it up, cupcake. It'll be hard, but it'll be good. And what we see, you know, what we can deduce from reading on is that she actually does. She goes back, she humbles herself, and she submits. We don't see this drama continue in the relationship. And then in verse 11, it says, the angel of the Lord said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard of your mis misery. Ishmael means the God who hears. So this brokenhearted servant girl is crying on the side of the road next to the spring. God hears her cries and he shows up. God hears her, and God gives her a promise and, and, and delivers justice. And then in verse 12, it says, he will be a wild donkey of a man. In other words, he's going to be an ass. Um, it's biblical. Uh, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards or toward all his brothers. And this is super interesting. I don't even know why why that's in there, but it is fascinating because eventually Abram and Sarai will have a, a son named Isaac, and all of the nation of Israel will trace its roots back to Isaac, and all of the Hagar's uh, descendants, and also ultimately Ishmael, will draw their, their roots back to that side of the family. Again, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, the Abraham Accords uh, of, as of two years ago or whenever were these two sides of the family coming together and sitting down, the Arab world and Israel. That's why they were called the Abraham Accords. So for 4,000 years, you see this hostility. I mean, we've seen it. You go back and read a history book, this hostility between these two sides of the, of the family. This prophecy proves to be true. Then in verse 13... It says, she gave this name to the Lord 
who spoke to her. So she, this is first, first time anybody gives God a name in the Bible, she, she gives him a name. She says, you are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So not only is he the God who hears her, he's the God who sees her. He gets her. This nobody servant, least of the least of the least in their, in their culture. And God sees her, he hears her, he gets her, he is with her, he shows up. And she gets to be the first person to give God a name, which is pretty cool. Brings me to point four, which is this. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're going through, God hears your prayers, he sees your situation, and he cares. He gets you, he's with you. If he's with her, he's with you. And in verse 15, it says, So Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram gave the, the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So she obeys God. She goes back. She gives him the name. She does what she submits to Sarai. And she receives this promise. And this son grows and is finds great favor with his father, and, you know, we're going to follow this story in the weeks ahead. My question for, for us today is this, because every story has a hero, right? Who's the hero in this story? Who's the hero in this story? Is it Abram? No. He's a schlep. I mean, let's just call it what it is. I mean, he, he just screws it up the whole way through. Is it Sarai? No, she was mean. She was acting really, yeah, I can't say those words in church. Was it Hagar? No, she was kind of giving it back. I mean, it was nothing, I mean, other than the fact that she, in the end, she turned around and did what God told her to do. But she wasn't a hero. No, the only hero in this story is the angel. It was Jesus. He shows up in a situation that is an absolute train wreck, an absolute relational, emotional, practical mess. And he brings grace to the situation and good from the situation. See, he was the God who sees and the God who hears and the God who was with Hagar. And he is the God who sees and the God who hears and the God who is with you, even in the midst of a plan that is going bad. And oftentimes, Mike, in this situation, he will find you in the midst of your plan. Maybe it's verse 5, and you're like, wow, oh, God, I got this mess. And he'll show up, and he'll tell you to do something that you don't want to do. Guys, that's when you need to do it, because it's that that will bring the healing and the redemption that you're looking for, you got to walk back into the mess. And he'll walk with you. And he'll walk you through it. This may be one of the most jacked up family stories of all times. I'm sure there are more, but, but it's pretty good. Personally, I would have left it out of the Bible if I were writing it. Thankfully, I'm not. I like the heroes. I like David slaying the giant. You know, I like the 
Daniel in the lion's den with the faith to make it through the night, Peter walking on water, all of that. But you know what? All of those guys were flawed. They all made horrible decisions before and after those stories. After a story like this, though, you would think that God would have have walked away from these people, and He doesn't, and He didn't. Guys, the reality of, of our lives is that every one of us is capable, and every one of us will make horrible mistakes. None of us are perfect, and we are all we all have the capacity to really screw things up. And you would have thought that God would have bolted, but He hasn't. He hasn't left. He's waiting for you to turn around and go back to camp and walk through this thing, to man up or woman up and do what you know you need to do, find the the maturity and the healing. Every one of us, guys, is going to make horrible mistakes, but God is still there. And if God can use them, if he can use them, he can certainly use you. Now, here's the deal, because sometimes people will be like, well, then, you know, I'll just make my mistakes and God will forgive me and, and, and make it right. Now, there's, there's inevitably pain and regret. This is not willful disobedience. Guys, when we walk in willful disobedience and just say that God will forgive us, you're going you're gonna to end up in a world of hurt. These, these mistakes have real-world consequences that God does, doesn't take away. He didn't take away Ishmael. We're going to have an... I mean, this is a 4,000-year story going on here that, that has been incredibly messy, but God is still there. You know, in, in, in marriages and in friendships and other situations, I have seen as people have leaned into God and leaned into one another and have humbled themselves, I've seen God heal and restore, but oftentimes there are natural consequences that, you know, you don't want to purposely make the mistakes just because you want to. You want to invite God into the planning. You want to trust Him enough and honor Him with your life. And when you do make mistakes, and you will, He is always there, and He will always bring good out of your plan B if you'll turn around and go back to Him. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is Romans 8.28. It says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who don't make mistakes. Okay, it doesn't say that. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And He'll even work in our mistakes and bring good out of Mark mistakes, if we will submit to him. Listen to me. There are some of us that think God has given up on us, that he's walked away. He's not. He's waiting for you to turn around and go home. He's waiting for you to walk with him instead of trying to figure it out and make it work on your own. So turn and go back. Humble yourself and submit. Let's pray together. Lord, would you meet us in this moment? God, would you... I just pray that, that there, there are some people 
And there's some people who feel like you have, have left them or that they're unredeemable, that they've made too many mistakes. And I just pray, God, that you would speak into their hearts right now, that you give them some direction, some encouragement, some promise. And I just encourage you as you're sitting there with your eyes closed that you'd just have a conversation with God and that you'd surrender to Him. Lord, help us to walk with you and help us to be used by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time. Thank you.